Yo, what's up, everyone? Got another great episode today on the Transfer Portal CFB presented by No Contact CFB. Please make sure to uh, subscribe to our channel too over on YouTube because that'd be a big help. But anyway, we got to talk Washington Commanders football and the NFL draft because we've got the great John Kime on with us today. Hello, John. How are you doing? Hey, guys. How are you? Good to see you again. Appreciate you joining us. Yeah, doing really good and really glad to have you on. It was a blast that uh, when we talked last time, got very in-depth with Ohio State, and now it's time to get in-depth with the commander's draft. Well, I do remember missing a lot of the games and the picks, so that's what I remember from that one. (laughs) (laughs) That seemed like a a weekly occurrence for me last year. (laughs) Uh, yeah, just really excited to talk uh, Commander's Draft with you. We've been doing a lot of draft coverage, a way that we're trying to separate ourselves from other college football outlets. And, you know, we want to make this more, the NFL Draft more of a college football thing. So we're glad to have you on and talk about this. Um, you know, Andrew's trying to become a draft analyst in his own way, and he's doing his thing, doing really big things. So, yeah, just really excited about this episode. We're good. So uh, the first thing that we got to ask you, what do you expect the commanders to do um, on day one of the draft? Like, why are you here in, um, in Washington thus far? Well, what they won't do is draft a quarterback. Not after getting Carson Wentz. And there was initial thought that maybe they'd still take someone in the first round. That's been made pretty clear for a while to me that they would not. And then Rivera has pretty much all but said that publicly. Um, they still may take a quarterback at some point, just not in the first round. So take that off the list. I think the the prime positions at that pick, or the prime, I'd say a couple positions, the position is receiver. That's going to be the a, a pick for a lot of teams throughout that first round where you say you could get a good receiver here. They could use a good receiver. So that's another, that's a, that's a distinct possibility as a receiver. The other one is safety because, but it, only if Kyle Hamilton falls to 11 because he can fill a role for them that Landon Collins played for them in that they have that Buffalo nickel package. They need a big hybrid linebacker safety to fill that role. And they feel Hamilton can do that. So that's another, so that's more player than position, but they definitely want to fill that position. But if you don't get Hamilton, you don't take that until the second round, or if you trade back in the first um, maybe get a Brisker or a Daxton Hill, somebody like that down the road. And Hill's a little bit different, but he can fill a, a different role for you. So that's a spot. They need a linebacker. They want a linebacker. Devin Lloyd will be there at 11. I have a hard time believing they're going to go there because they'd only, they only used, they used a three linebacker set on 65 plays last year, according to next gen stats. 65 plays in the in the three linebacker set the buffalo nickel player will play a lot more than the middle linebacker now you but having said that they still need depth there they still need more linebackers so i think that's something they could do after the first round if they take lloyd then what they i know at one point they kind of envisioned like you could get lloyd and jamin davis and cole holcomb all playing together these young guys growing as a as a, as a group but again they don't use it that often. Now against the Eagles, you want to use it, but against other teams, you don't, you know, they're in most of the league, you're not going to use that very often. 
still that's a position on the list. I just have a hard time seeing 11. So really receiver makes sense. Corner might make, would make sense, but I don't think like, I think Stingley would be there. I don't think he'd be the guy. I think Gardner, I don't know that he would fall out of that top 10. I think Stingley, the last couple of years, the injuries, I think is a, it's a concern for team, some, for some teams, for other teams that 2019 tape is all you need to see. But I think yeah. you can put that on a list. Um, and then the last one, and I think I'd bump this probably, I think there's a, a feeling for some that that 10 to 15 range, there's some good linemen that might be available there too. One thing that when you listen to Rivera, the one thing he absolutely always wants to build is a strong, I mean, every coach says this, right? They all want to build strong offensive lines, but some only give it words, some give it credence. And I think one of the things since he's been here that he's trying to do is rebuild that line depth. And one reason why they even won seven games last year, despite a lot of injuries up front, was because they had good offensive line depth. So one thing you could see them do, maybe if there's a, if, if one of those top linemen falls out of the top 10, but I don't think it's all in, but like, I mean, on the off chance that, that Iguanu falls out of the top 10, I don't see that. I didn't see John Allen falling out of the top 10 a few years ago but I don't see that. So it'd be hard to say, but it's gotta be something like that. And then if you, because if you got a tackle, if you wanted to get a top tackle, you could bump Sam Cosby from right tackle to guard, or you can draft somebody in this draft who can go, who can play guard, whether it's somebody converted, you know, or somebody that they would draft. But again, I don't know who, I don't know who that guy would be at 11 unless one of the top guys fell. So that's why I'm go back to receiver, Kyle Hamilton. That would be that would be how I would view it right now. Now you did you like you mentioned Kyle Hamilton a few times. If he did fall to eleven, if he was starting to fall and he's in that seven or eight range, do you see them possibly trading up to secure him? I don't. I don't think so because I think there's other safeties that they like there as well. Um, mm -hmm. Not at eleven, but in this draft. So I don't know if they would give up what it would take to go get him. Keep in mind, they don't, they only, they have six picks in this draft, but you have two in the seventh and, and one in the sixth. So half your picks are in the sixth or later. Mm -hmm. So you got, you know, you don't want to use too much of that capital to move up. I, I would, my thought would be, I don't think you, I don't know that he's, because again, I don't know that the gap in their eyes is so big between him and some of the other safeties that they would have to do that. So, I, you know, I, and I also would say, he gets to that point, they're probably figuring he's going to fall out of the top 10 once you get to that point. Because I don't know that those teams there are going to – would be in the market for what he does um, like they would be. Yeah, uh, I wanted to add one more thing. You talked about wide receivers. Do you think uh, there's a specific one that they might be targeting, maybe a Jameson Williams, maybe a Garrett Wilson? <clears throat> maybe a Chris Olave? Definitely. There, so, there you go. There's a lot of top, a <laughs> lot of so, top wide receivers. Yeah. And I mean, I think Jamison is a tough one for them. Um, well, first of all, I mean, it, I think he's going to be a really good player because he's got that speed and he's got that game breaking ability. And I think he can help you in multiple ways because of that, but coming off that injury, I don't know if this team is in that position where you're going to be able, would you take a chance on somebody in that spot? Um, especially after going through a year last year where Curtis Samuel was not available most of the year because of 
an injury. Now, by all accounts, Jamison's going to be fine, but I think that would be one. I don't, so I don't know if they would or not, but I think you, know, you have to put him on anybody's list because I think he's that much of a game breaker. Um, and that's what you want. And especially like one thing with him, and I think Olave is part of this as well, is not just beating you deep, but on those crossers too. And that's where, you know, running away from guys underneath, that's been a big thing since they got Carson Wentz. It's not just the downfield stuff. It's the shallow crossers and the timing of those crossers, which is where they felt was a little bit off with Taylor Heineke. So if you get a guy who's got a little bit better timing on that and can see over the line, get it to him. Now you got a chance to let this guy break something. So that's where Jamison would come in as well. Garrett, you know, but I think like of the Ohio State guys, it's the feeling I've gotten from some talking to other people is that, that I, th- I think Washington would take Olave over Wilson. Um, I think the question I'm not sure yet would be, would they take Drake London or Olave, you know, and then the Jamison question, because I think that's a big one, but I, I think Olave has impressed a lot of teams during this off, these offseason workouts. And it's funny because when you see these, these projections for guys in the mocks, sometimes you're seeing him being drafted in the twenties and sometimes, you know, but it's it, like, it wouldn't shock me if this team took him at 11. So I think, He's one of those guys. And I think the other question there for these guys is what's the gap between, again, you have to maximize that pick, right? So what's the gap? If you don't take Olave and you take Kyle Hamilton, say, what's the gap then with the receivers that you would get at round two? And I don't know that there's a huge, huge gap for them to say, you've got to get this guy here, even though you may like him a lot. Yeah, I think one thing we all know about this wide receiver class is even though there are a lot of great players at the top, there's also a lot of great depth that you can get into the second and third rounds. Uh, next up, we did a, a pick is in article where we just had three people talk about a pick that we would love to see each team make. And we did one for uh, Washington and we wanted to ask what you would think okay. or just what your favorite pick was or, you know, what's the most realistic. So first up, we had. Uh, our very own Liam, he had uh, Joshua Williams, the corner from Fayetteville State, going in day three. Do you have any thoughts on that pick? No, I was I, I was waiting for Liam to say Carson Strong. That's <laughs> <laughs> that was your guy. No, I would say this. I the wrong know, Carson. <laughs> well, you were close. You were close. Um, I don't have. Close. I'm not as like I haven't studied him. But what I would say is, corner is a definite spot where they need to address. So that's what I would say. And they, they took Benjamin St. Juice last year and he was doing a nice job progressing. And then he kept getting these concussions. I definitely think they want to improve the depth there. And so corner is on that list. And that's why, you know, you can look at a Gardner or a Stingley in that first pick because of, because I still think you can, first of all, you can never have enough good corners, but they need more depth at that position. So I do think that would be a wise position to address. Absolutely. Well, if corner's a wise decision, you're going to love Kyler's pick because he had Kobe Bryant, the corner from Cincinnati going 113th. So any thoughts on Kobe or just. Yeah, no, yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I always liked him. And that's clearly, and that defense was really, really good. And he's, I mean, you know, watching, it's funny because sometimes you'd watch that tape and you're, you're watching for, for Gardner, right? And then you think you're watching Gardner. And it, actually, it wasn't. It was Bryant, right? So like, you, and, and you know, you, because you couldn't, if you can't see the numbers and you say, oh, that was a really nice play. That must have been Gardner. And then you go back, oh no, it wasn't. And so like, I think 
again, same, same thing. I like, I do like him. I like that defense a lot. And so I think that would be a good pick. Yeah. I would right, just the, be stunned if he was there at 113. <laughs> I would agree yeah. with that. That's what, yeah, ex- absolutely. I mean, if he is, I mean, that's a tremendous value there, but yeah, you say you said it was 113th pick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the one. That's oh, what it yeah, is in yeah, the article. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that would be, a, that, I think that would be a really good pick. Yeah. It would be a great value pick for a great player. And then last up, uh, we kind of already talked about it. I had Garrett Wilson. So I, I, I just think Garrett Wilson's a great player. Obviously you've, you talked about how you think Chris Olave might be drafted over him if it was Washington's decision between the two players, but I still think Possibly, Wilson's a great player. Possibly, definitely. I know, I do think that would happen, but I also think that they think Wilson will go top 10 and that it wouldn't be a choice. That was the feeling that I've gotten from some people, you know, that that's what they would think. I'm a big Wilson fan. I mean, you know, that's where I went. So I'm a very big Garrett Wilson fan because I think he's, I think, I don't know if he gets credit for how he runs his routes, like the way he should get credit for that. And he's got, he has really good speed. His hands are tremendous. I will say like, you know, there are, there are times actually you could probably say this about both of them, but especially in 2020 third downs, you're like, where's Garrett? Where's he at? They got to get the ball to Garrett Wilson because you know he's going to make the play. Now, having said that, there are a lot of times Olave did that too. And the difference was that they could align Wilson in more spots or they did align and he was playing a lot in the slot and he could play outside. So they could create more mismatches for him. Um, I will say, yeah, I remember hearing from some people there, um, some reporters and all that, like that he might be the best receiver in Ohio State history. And this was a couple of years ago. And like that did not materialize um there have been some great receivers who've come out of there i would not put wilson as the best guy but i think he's a very good receiver um and so i think that if they got him i think a lot of washington fans would be very happy because i think he can do a lot for you all right liam do you want to ask the next question uh yeah obviously um Gotta talk sleepers, right? That's kind of my favorite thing to do personally when looking at the draft. And we each identified the sleeper that maybe Washington could be in on. I'll start with mine, and and then we'll let Andrew go with his. But mine is a, a versatile piece on defense. Um, Sterling Weatherford from Miami of Ohio. He's getting op- the opportunity to try out as a safety and a linebacker this is someone who has even lined up off the edge and pass rushing opportunities he's really someone that that can play everywhere I think he's going to be a pest to game plan against if he's given the correct opportunity to grow and thrive in these next few years somebody that could really you know keep uh offensive coordinators up late at night trying to game plan against them I I kind of have the feeling that he might drop a little in the draft due to teams thinking like they're not exactly sure how to use them, which I hate that. But I just think Sterling Weatherford's a really good piece that could play literally everywhere on the field, be an impact defender for years to come. So I would love to see Washington potentially grab him. Do you think he could be in that hybrid linebacker safety role then? For sure. Then that then that's that's again. That's what they need. And that's what they want. Absolutely. And the one thing they're very big on, one of the things they're very big on is position versatility. 
I think most coaches probably are, but it became a buzz over the last year, especially it became a, the, the, a popular phrase here, position versatility. And whether it's from the draft, you get to training camp, you hear it more and more and more. So yeah, I think the guy that has that would, would certainly be, have to be on the radar just because again, Buffalo nickel package, they need to fill that role. And if they don't, they don't have Landon Collins, so you've got to get somebody. And so whoever, whatever they draft to safety is going to probably be somebody who can play that hybrid role. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, I'll take mine. Damari Mathis, the corner from Pitt. I absolutely love him. I feel like we kind of all got stuck in that Kenny Pickett allure when we were watching Pitt, which deservedly so. He was amazing. But Damari Mathis was really an impactful player on that defense. He had a RAS of 972, so you know he's going to be able to get around the field. And it does kind of help that depth uh, situation that we were talking about at corner uh, with Washington. I think that he doesn't, he definitely gets some recognition, but he doesn't get enough where he should be in that talk of being in that tier where it's closer to the second and third round. Uh, so I, I just think that Washington, if they are looking corner in the second round, say they do get Kyle Hamilton in the first or the wide receiver. If Mathis is on the board, maybe second round, definitely someone that may not be on the top of a lot of people's boards, but wouldn't be a surprise to some people. Why do you like him so much? Uh, athleticism. I, I like the athleticism, the mixture of the athleticism. You know, he's not super small. His ball skills, I mean, I'm, I want to say one of the plays he had in the ACC championship uh, was a, either a pick six or close to it. He, he, he just has those flashes that I like. And that, like, again, the depth is a, is a massive thing for them. And I don't think they had good depth at corner. And the other thing, too, is not just the depth. Like, the reason why I go back to – God, I love watching Derek Singley's that 2019 tape. It was so good. But um, you go – if they went for a guy like that at 11, it's because their starting corners – Kendall Fuller, I'm a fan. I like Kendall Fuller a lot. But he's not going to become – he's not a Pro Bowl corner. He's just a – he's a good corner. Um, William Jackson struggled in his first year to adapt to this defense with Washington last year, the corner they signed from Cincinnati – um, he's not like they wanted to play a lot more press man with him. And with that defense last year, it didn't quite work that well. And it, they play, the defense played better when they went to more zone coverage, mixing in some man versus a lot of man mixing in zone um, with you at the start of the year. So I think, but the point is Jackson still has to show that he can be a primary guy for them. And if not, then you better have that guy somewhere. But you still need depth. Again, St. Juice is coming off the concussions. There were a lot. There were more than a few of those. He had several concussions. And how is he going to respond to missing all the time and then come back year two? But again, and after that, it's there are guys that you could, you know, you certainly could um, replace if you have to and if you get somebody better. All right, sleepers aside, let's talk 2023 because even though 2022 hasn't happened yet, might as well. Uh, so, Liam, what's what's your 2023 draft prospect that you want people to keep an eye on? Yeah, so I had to keep it a little DMV themed here. We're going with Rakeem Jarrett, the wide receiver from Maryland. 
I think, honestly, I think the sky is not even the limit for this kid. I think there's a whole nother potential that he could tap into and really take off and become something special. I'm not seeing him like highly touted as like a first round talent yet or anything. I think he truly could be a first rounder next year. He had uh, 56 grabs or 769 yards and five touchdowns in 2021. There's so much more for him to do in 2022, and I'm really excited to see what he could do. Um, we saw Stefan Diggs, obviously, a DMV kid thrive at Maryland, go in the fifth round for no reason in the trap. Never understood that one. Never understood that. I was, I was baffled. I didn't get it. That same mistake can't be made with Jarrett. He's going to be a lot higher like on him. people's boards. Yeah, yeah he, he, I, he's he, made, he made plays for them. He made plays. Mm-hmm. He's got a uh, like lethal speed and just rare explosiveness, yeah. sticky hands. He's super confident in his abilities. And we haven't seen the best of him yet. And I know that year after year, he's only going to get better. I'm investing in Rakeem Jarrett. I advise everyone else to do so. And, you know, maybe he ends up playing his pro football in the DMV too. No, he, he's a playmaker. He's a guy, you know, because there's, you know, I live here. Maryland football is not exactly high on the list to watch, but I've seen that. I know that kid. And if, you know, you can watch a little bit, but if they play off state and all that, you know that kid because he's he's because he's a playmaker. So yes, I think I think he's definitely somebody to watch going into going into the next year. I'm gonna stick with offensive Big Ten weapons. Uh, Brevin spent fourth the tight end from Minnesota. Not the biggest need for Washington because we know they have Logan Thomas, but you know, doesn't hurt to have a little bit of depth. Six seven for Brevin Span forward, but he doesn't run like it. Brevin Span Ford, you don't think of offensive uh, playmakers at tight end for Minnesota because they're such a run-heavy offense, especially the last two years. But not only can he block, but he is great receiving the ball. There were multiple times this last year where he hurdled defenders. A 6'7 tight end from Minnesota doing something like that is kind of kind of crazy. So I, I think that he's a guy that, especially with the return of uh, Kurt Shiraka from Minnesota's offense, if they get the pass game going more, a lot more people are going to understand how good of a player he really is. See, I think tight end is a spot to watch for them because, and it's, I think even this draft as well, Logan Thomas is coming off that ACL um, for this year. And I know that your prospects for next year, but for this year, Thomas might not be back till September. We don't know yet. You have John Bates, who I thought had a really good rookie year. And then you also, after that, they lost Ricky Seals-Jones. You don't really have that guy after him. Now you have Samus Reyes, the, the, the kid from Chile, who you know played last year. It was his first year of organized football. He, I think if he becomes a good blocker, a consistent blocker this year, that's a win for them. So they need somebody else. And so, and I say that because I think they could be in a position next year as well where you still need to fill out that roster. And a lot of it will depend on how Reyes develops. And if they get somebody here, how that person develops, because you could be right back next year looking for another guy at that position to complement a Logan. And Thomas will come back at some point. And by this point, you know, by end of the year, you could say he's Logan Thomas again, the same what he was before he got hurt. But they're still going to, I still think you're going to need to build that spot out. Um, if you don't get a guy this year. So that could be a spot to watch in 2023. Even this year's tight end class, if they were to take a guy on day three, they're still going to get a pretty dang good talent at tight end to fill out their room and maybe, you know, find someone that could grow into a key piece. So 
We'll, and they we'll don't definitely need keep an eye on that. Yeah, they don't need a primary guy there. They need a guy who can add depth and be a pass-catching threat. So, you know, and um, that, that's what they need because Thomas will give you that when he gets back. Bates is a guy that's not going to kill you in the past game, but he can be, he, he showed last year, he can be more, he can be more effective than people think. And, but you still need one other guy. Like Ricky Seals Jones was good for them after Thomas went down. Different player, um, but still help them. They need to find that guy some, somehow, whether it's after the draft or in this draft. So, yeah, I think that's the spot. You know, the, the thing is, what they really need to do is get more picks in this draft. Get more picks in that round. For real. Right. Like, as I keep saying, I, every time I talk about this, I'm like, well, they can get, they could look for this position in round two, round two, round two. Next thing you know, I got them taking five guys in round two. Well, you can only take one. So you better get some, and they don't have a third round pick. So you better get something else there if possible. That's why at 11, what we didn't talk about was trading back. And if they can get somebody to trade up, I think that would be a desired um, outcome for them. So you can pick up more capital in the in that sweet spot, which to me is two through four. I think trading down for them would be, especially if they were considering taking a Lave at 11, I think trading down from 11, you know, just maybe a few spots to the later teens, early 20s, right, right. hopefully get a Lave there, build capital. I think that's a really good plan. And then just speaking to that receiving tight end, maybe Cole Turner from Nevada, red zone okay. threat, very good receiving talent. Yeah, maybe that's is. somebody yep. to look yep. at. I and, and you know I would be partial to Jeremy Ruckert at Ohio State. I've always thought mm-hmm. that he would be – I think – I've always thought he'll be a better receiving threat in the NFL than he was in college because you look at him in college and look at the talent that was around him at receiver. He had no chance to get a lot of balls. I think he could be a I think he could be a bigger threat in the NFL. He's more middle of the round, middle, middle of the draft kind of guy. But so there are, and you know, so that's why I'm a little partial to him because I saw him, but I do think he's a guy that you could get later in the draft that could help you. That's a good name to connect to uh, the Washington commanders that we should look out for. And we greatly appreciate your time on with us today. And before we let you go, um, just wanted to ask you, um, you know, your favorite Dwayne Haskins memory. Uh, he left a positive, you know, impact on a lot of lives and was so good to so many people, including my brother. And just, you know, uh, want to know what your favorite memory was from Mr. Haskins. Well, before I say the memory, I do want to stress, like, he is a he was a really good kid. And... <clears throat> Obviously, there were ups and downs in Washington. What wasn't up and down was the fact that I thought he was a really good kid. And that's, in the end, that's all that was going to matter. And you could tell because of how players reacted to him. And, you know, always uh, he was, he's an upbeat guy, loved to smile a lot. But players wanted to see him do well because they liked him. And one, one memory would be, and this is one that, I forgot about, and then you see these clips after he had died, was that it was on the NFL um, Twitter feed, and they showed the reaction on the sidelines after his first win, his reaction and a couple of others. He had this huge, huge embrace with Kevin O'Connell, now the Vikings coach, then his offensive coordinator, and it was a tight embrace. And it was a kind of embrace. It was like, you know, you see those like after when you go, boom, get the little bro hug and you bounce out. This was a, this was like almost like a, I haven't seen you in five years. 
you're coming back from the war type of embrace. You know what I'm saying? Like it was, there was that much emotion in it. And I know how much O'Connell was putting in the work that he was doing with Dwayne. So I know, but you're not doing, you're not having that kind of a hug unless you don't, unless you really care for that guy. That really spoke volumes to me is that tight embrace. And then the other guy right after that went up to him was Morgan Moses, their right tackle at the time. Moses had been working with Dwayne too, talking to him a lot about, you know, about just how, like he does with a lot of young guys. How do you be an NFL player, right? What is your responsibility? Doing all that. Morgan went up to him and had that same type of embrace that there was just extra meaning to it. And you don't do that unless you have a deep feeling for that kid. And I always liked talking to Dwayne because Dwayne would call me by my name. He knew that, and it sounds like a small thing, but for reporters, they don't all, people don't always know who you are or what your name is. He did. And I don't, but, I, and I think it was because I felt like I had a decent relationship with him where I could sit down with him and, and ask him questions without, you know, without pushing him into a corner, without turning it into something that it didn't have to be just questions. Right. And I always liked talking to him because I always felt like I got good answers and had, or just had a good conversation with him. So I enjoyed getting to know him as a person. And it was a lot, you know, I had several times where I could just sit down, he and I, and um, I always, always liked him. I always thought he was a good kid. And I remember even after they, his first start, um, they lost at Buffalo, a game. It was his first start his rookie year he did not have good relief appearances before that start. So there was a, Oh, you know, how's it going to go? And I remember being on the field before the game and I watched him warm up and, you know, I could, I saw that the week before a little bit um, or one other previous week where you could see, I was like, I just, you watch how guys react, right. Or how guys warm up. And I saw the kid that I watched in college the, the energy that he had, the, the confidence that he was showing. I'm like, like, that's the guy I knew. And I even said to him after the game, like in the locker room, like he, they didn't win, but he did have a good game against a really good team. And we're even just saying like, you know, I saw that confidence that I watched had watched in college. And he agreed. Like he said, he felt better. He felt more prepared. He felt so, but it's like when he was like that, man, there was just a lot of energy around him and players like that right and I think but this is all built up to the first memory I really have of him when he was at Ohio State you know the first his first his second year there um, was the backup to JT Bear and he'd get into some games and you knew who he was growing up in the DMV or living in the DMV and him playing here you knew you knew who he was because you knew the name and I knew he was going to Ohio state and I knew he was a big time recruit. So watching him that second year, he come in against certain teams like, wow, I can't wait till this kid is ready to play because you could see the arm talent. And then other games would be like, it'd be a little bit up and down because he's second year, but he goes into the JT Barrett gets hurt against Michigan. And um, Dwayne comes in, they're losing in that game. They're losing. He comes in this second half first series I'm not the first play, but the first series, they have a third down and 13. And that kid sticks a bullet on a seam ball on the right side. And I get choked up thinking about it because that's going to be my memory of him. That was a, there's, he had a great year the next year. 
but that play and that situation to make that throw. And if people like, if you said to an Ohio state fan third and 13, I damn well guarantee you they're going to know what, what you're talking about because it was a, it was the, that throw was like, that's a Sunday throw. That kid's going to be playing on Sundays because that's a throw you make. And I, at that point, I'm like, I can't wait to see what he does the next year. And sure enough, 50 touchdown passes the next year. He, he ushered in a new era for Ohio State quarterbacks and for Ohio State offense. And people, this is why I always like people talk about Ohio State quarterbacks and all that. There's a, there's a line of delineation before Dwayne and then after Dwayne because he and Ryan Day worked magic on that offense. And you see the subsequent line, the succession line of succession of quarterbacks. Dwayne helps get Justin Fields there. You know, now you got C.J. Stroud there. They're becoming a better quarterback school than they ever were, but it started, it was really, Dwayne was the first one where you say, that's a big-time talent. They usually, like, they didn't always have that there. They, that's why I was like, I always laugh, like, the people talk about that, but they didn't have that until him. So, as an Ohio State fan, you see that, but it was that third and 13 throw that, to me, just was 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 terrific. And it also was, was fun for me to dive into his story before that 2019 draft. And I was able to talk to a lot of people who had worked with him from the time he was little to, to that point to help get him to that point um, to become a, and whatever happens to somebody's career, whatever. But he worked hard to get to that. He worked to get to that point. You don't get there if you don't, you know? And so like that, for me, all of that was enjoyable to get to be able to dig into that story and learn more about his journey. But that third and 13th row will always, always be special. And I think that's one of the things that really, as you know, is it hurts for me because, you know, you know that a dad and a mom are grieving and a sister is grieving and friends are grieving. And that is, is horrible. And, and you knew him and I thought he was a good kid and a nice, really, I, even people here who, you know, he, he got cut here, but they're like, he's a kind-hearted, big kind-hearted guy. Nobody was saying anything bad about him. And um, so, you know, you know that, but like what, what you would, what you, the, the dream and the vision is always 30 years, Dwayne should be standing on the field with his kids or grandkids and, the, and they're going to play highlights, you know, honoring the, you know, his team or Dwayne honoring Dwayne Haskins or whatever. And you play that clip on the scoreboard and people, and he just, you, people should go crazy for that. And, you know, like that is the, was the, the, you know, things like that. You just like, it's just such a shame what the rest of his life, what he's going to miss out on, what others are going to miss out on with him. Because as you know, Liam, you know, the way he treated your brother and, um, that was just, it said a lot about him. I mean, you know, he was, he was a good kid. So I didn't, I apologize for rambling on, but this, it was, it was, um, you know, he, I mean, he, you're, you're a reporter, you're, you're, but you know, that, you know, these guys, you, I know them. And, you know, and again, I knew him as a fan first and then as a reporter. Very well said. A lot of good memories from you there. And, uh, yeah, he was just an all-around good person, and his uh, his impact, positive impact, will you know live on forever with all the lives that he was able to touch and stuff. So, you know, really appreciate you sharing sharing those memories. And Dwayne, 
and appreciate you coming on and talking Washington Commanders draft with us. We really appreciate it. Really appreciate your time and, you know, wish you the best of luck in these next few hectic weeks as you cover this draft. This draft and everything else surrounding this franchise. But thanks a lot. I always enjoy coming on. You guys do a really good job. So thank you very much.